Christianity is about relationship, not rules, about love, not law. What do you think of that? Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds nice. Relationship sounds a lot nicer than rules, doesn't it? Love sounds a lot more desirable than law. Sound good to you? It's what many people say, and you're probably guessing from the way I've put that, that I'm about to disagree with it. Because it's a false split. It separates things that are not supposed to be separate and don't need to be separate. Relationship and rules are not in opposition. Love and law are not opposites. And you'll see that from Matthew 22, if you turn back to that. Let's turn back to Matthew 22 and verses 34 to 40. And read it again. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so we see that love and law are not opposites. The law commands us to love. And the way to love is shown in the law. Completely opposite, isn't it, to our society's idea of love? Ollie falls in love with Yasmin and they get married. Two years later he falls out of love with Yasmin and falls in love with Jade and goes off with her. And our society says, that's love, you can't control it. It just wells up inside you, doesn't it? The Bible says real love is quite different. It's something we are commanded to do. And I want this morning to use verses 37 to 39 to finish our series on love. We'll have a little recap of some of the things we've learnt about love, but my main aim is simply to get us to be doers, not just hearers of God's words. These verses command us to love. And my aim this morning is for us to obey the command, not for us particularly to learn anything new, but to prompt us to just go and obey the command. This morning's about what we're commanded to do, but we won't do it unless and until God has worked in us, done something to us and for us. And so I'm not going to get into these verses for a little while because first of all I must begin with what we need first. What do we need first before we can do this? Now, One of the verses that provided the basis for our series on love was 1 John 4 verse 19, a verse well worth knowing. It says, we love because he first loved us. This is absolutely vital. We love because he first loved us. We are only going to love, we are only going to obey this commandment if first we have come under, received and appreciated God's love for us. So let's have a think about that. Now, it would be interesting, wouldn't it, to go down the town centre and do a little survey asking people a simple question, do you love God? (coughs) How do you think we get on? Go down the town centre and as people pass by, I'm just doing a survey, I've got a question to ask you, do you love God? 
what responses do you think you'd get? That'd be really interesting. I think it'd be quite worthwhile. And I reckon you'd get a lot of funny looks, wouldn't you? Because the idea of loving God is quite foreign to people, isn't it? What do you mean, do I love God? People love, I hope, their husband, wife, children, parents, friends, even possessions. People love their possessions. But love God? No. I don't reckon that enters most people's thinking. I reckon it's quite foreign to most people's thinking. Does it enter your thinking? Do you love God? You might have all sorts of thoughts about God. You might be coming to church to find out about God. I hope so, that's great. But do you love God? If only people saw what we've been seeing, surely that would make them love God. Let's, let's just have a little recap. Let me remind you what we've been seeing. We started our series in 1 John 4 verse 8, which had that famous phrase, God is love, and then said, and this is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son to be the sacrifice for our sins. God is, only the triune God could be said to be love because he is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Father, Son and Holy Spirit have always been loving each other. There has never been a time when God is not love. But then God chose to pour that love out on us by sending his son. And then we went back into the Old Testament. We started in 1 John, we went backwards into Exodus 34 and we heard the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. A richer, deeper, more reliable love than you'll find in any romance or in fact any other relationship. And then we move forward again, not to 1 John, but to John's Gospel. And that famous chapter 3, verse 16. God in this way loved the world. I slightly changed the translation to improve it. God in this way loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son. God in this way loved the world. And we heard that the world there means the world in all its badness and its rebellion and it's self-destructive pushing of God away and saying, we won't have you. And the amazing thing is, that verse, written by a man who knew how holy and sin-hating God was, said, that's what he loved, that world. And this is how he loved. He gave his son, gave him up to death. And then we went back to 1 John, but this time chapter 3, and we heard in verse 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. In other words, God didn't love us enough to say, here you are, have some charity, I'll throw you some charity, I'll send you something to help you because I love you enough to want to help you. He didn't do that, no. Instead of throwing us something from a distance, he embraced us into his family under his fatherly care, permanently adopted, not temporarily fostered. Now, doesn't such love captivate you? Doesn't such love, if you've got even a glimmer of it, amaze you? And doesn't it draw out love in return? We love because he first loved us. But it does more than that. It does more than just captivate us and draw out love in return. It needs to do more. I will try to illustrate. 
When I was a teacher, one of my pupils was the son of a heroin addict. And he was in foster care, and he got passed from foster carer to foster care, and none of them could cope with him. But he still loved his mother. And it was amazing to me how, despite the way his mother had treated him, despite all he'd been through, and despite him trying to put on, he was a tough teenager. On days when, that evening, he was going to go and visit his mother, he was visibly excited by going to see his mother. He loved going to see his mother. He loved her. But the sad thing is, there was no sign that she loved him in return. And you might say, that's not surprising. She was wrecked by her drug addiction. His love did not draw out her love in return because she was wrecked by this terrible addiction to drugs. God is love. What an amazing love from God. What a costly love. The best of loves. But left to ourselves, we don't love in return because we are wrecked by a terrible addiction to sin. And so we need something more than just hearing about God's love and therefore we, well, it draws out love in return. We need more than that. 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us and he got to work in our hearts and he made us loving people. Now this has got to come first. We haven't yet got into our passage, have we? We're not even started Matthew 22, but you won't obey the commandment without this. You need God's work in your hearts. You need him to change you, to release you from the sin addiction. You need him to make you a loving person. And you can ask him to do that. You can ask him to do that. Have you asked him to do that? Surely you know, don't you? It's not a difficult question. Have you asked him to do that? And if not, will you now? You could now, couldn't you? Now, people around you don't need to know what's going on. You could, in your mind, in your heart, be asking them now, God, change my heart. I'm addicted to my sin. Release me from that and make me love you. Will you ask him? Well, that is necessary first before we can obey these commands. Now let's hear what we're commanded to do. Let's get back to Matthew 22. What are we commanded to do? We're commanded to love God. Verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in another part of the Bible it adds, and with all your strength. What is this with all your heart, all your soul and with all your mind? Well, imagine some chemists get hold of that famous painting, the Mona Lisa. That'd be a bit of a disaster for chemists. It should be artists that appreciate it, not chemists. These chemists, what they do is they say, ah, look at this painting. I wonder what it's made of. Let's take it apart to analyse what it's made of. Let's put bits of it in test tubes and see what what chemicals it's made up of. Well, that would be missing the point, wouldn't it? Because the point is appreciating the whole And it would also wreck the painting, wouldn't it? What a disaster. Now, we mustn't do that with this verse. The point of the verse is not work out what it means by heart, soul, mind, and maybe strength, if you take it from, I think it's Luke that says strength, and work out what's the difference between a heart and a mind, and what's the difference between a mind and a soul. That's missing the point. The reason these words are here is to add up to a whole picture. 
And the whole picture is this, emphasising love God with your whole being. Love God with your every faculty. Have you got a footnote to verse 37 in your Bible? I expect many of us have, I have. And it tells us that verse 37 is a quote from Deuteronomy. Now that's interesting because Deuteronomy repeatedly uses the phrase all your heart and all your soul. It says, love God with all your heart and soul. It says, seek God with all your heart and soul. It says, serve God with all your heart and soul. It says, obey God. It says, turn to God. It keeps using the phrase for different things we must do towards God. In other words, it's, it's all about, it's commanding wholehearted love for God. Full devotion to God. I'm not saying we couldn't learn anything from delving into what the words heart, soul and mind, but I say we could easily miss the point. The point is wholehearted, full devotion. Have you got a love like that for God? How do you know if you've got a love like that? It's all very well saying have you, but how do you know if you have? Oh, some say, oh, that's easy. I feel in myself such a love for God. When I sing his praise, I feel such a love for God. Well, That's nice. And it's interesting that, do you know who the apostle of love was? The apostle of love was John. And what did he say about how we know if we love God? He wrote a letter. He wrote a letter so people could tell if they have eternal life, if they love God. And it's interesting that nowhere did he say, you tell it by the strength of your feelings. No. He said, you tell it by whether you obey God. You tell it by whether you are fighting against sin or just giving in and letting it, taking it in. Now, I hope you feel moved by God's love. I hope it prompts you to joyful praise. But that isn't the real test of whether you love God. The test is, do you obey him? The test is, do you live consistently for him. And the Apostle John was following his Saviour in writing this because Jesus didn't say, if you love me, you'll know it by how you feel it in worship. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is how we tell if we love God. Do we obey him? Do we keep his commandments? Let's try to think about that practically and what that looks like in practical life. Let's imagine a young man who falls in love with a woman. He falls for her. Now before, you could never get him to sit still for a moment. But now, he sits and he listens to her. He seems to actually enjoy listening to her as she goes on and on. Before, the only conversation you could get out of him was about computer games. Now, every conversation, he somehow finds a way to drop her into conversation and bring her up and you, you know something's going on. A few years later, they're married and there's a baby. And after a busy week at work and after a night of the baby screaming, he doesn't always feel the high that he did when he first fell in love with her. But if he loves her, Surely he'll still be putting himself out for her, won't he? Not, I'm playing my computer games, you go and look after the baby. Now, can you see any parallels between us and God? Any parallels with our love for God? If you love him, 
you'll spend time listening to him and speaking to him, won't you? And couldn't we say that's part of obeying the first commandment, put God first? If you love him, you'll tell others about him, won't you? You'll drop him into conversation. Couldn't we say that's part of the third commandment, honour him in how you speak? If you love him, you'll put yourself out to worship him in the way he says, together with his people, and not just when you're feeling like it. And couldn't we say that's the second and the fourth commandment, worship God his way and keep his day? If we love him, we'll keep his commandment. It will have a practical effect on our lives. Let's try to be practical about this and not just glide over it in a general way. Let's ask some more pointed questions about this. Will you love God this evening and be here worshipping him? Now, I know that some cannot, but I suspect that some choose not to do so. Do you love him? Will you love God tomorrow when someone asks how your weekend was? And there's a chance to drop into the conversation, the one you love. But there might be a cost, because they might think you're a bit silly. Do you love him? Will you love God on Tuesday, when you're faced with a temptation to sin? And if you sin, it will mean that you're turning your back on God, maybe only for a short while, but you're choosing to turn your back on him, to turn towards the sin. Will you love him then? Will you love God on Wednesday evening when, oh, you haven't had time to read the Bible and and pray yet today, but it's a choice between either doing that or watching that TV programme? Do you want time with him? Do you want to know him? Do you love him? We are commanded to love God. And loving him is a practical thing. We'll obey his commandments. We are also commanded to love our neighbours. So let's move on to verse 39. The first great commandment, love the Lord your God. The second is like it, verse 39, love your neighbour as yourself. Now, as most of you will know, neighbour doesn't just here mean the person who lives next door, although it includes them. It's anyone you come into contact with. How do you know if you love your neighbour? Oh, that's easy, say some. I feel for them. My neighbours hit trouble and I really feel compassion for them. That's good, you should, I hope you do. But as you can guess, I'm going to say, again, the Bible doesn't say the test is your feelings. The Bible says the test is, do you treat them in a way that fits God's law? God's laws summarise how, in practice, we're to love people. You can see that in, we could have read 1 John 5, that tells us if we love others, we'll obey God's commandments in how we treat them. We read it in Romans 13. It talked about love, and it put it together with how we obey God's commandments, particularly the second half of the Ten Commandments. What's that like in practice? Once when I was on my way home from work, quite a few years ago, I saw an old granny in her dressing gown and slippers walking along the road. I thought, I'm sure you're not supposed to be here. This looks quite unsafe. So I said, would you like a lift home? And she said, oh, yes, please, and got in the car. It's not the safest thing, I suppose, but anyway, she did. And uh, I took her home. At least I tried to. It was quite difficult because she said, oh, that's my home over there. I went and rang on the door and a dog started barking and she legged it. Surprising how quick she could move. (laughs) 
When I'd explained to the person who answered the door, she said, oh no, she doesn't live here. Eventually, I found her home and got her home nice and safe. Felt rather pleased. And then the next day, I thought, well, I got her safely home, but where will she be in a few years' time? Is she safely on the way to heaven? Is she a few years from hell? I got her safely home, that's a good thing to do. That's nice, but it's not good enough, really, is it? I'll try to do more. So I went back and tried to tell her the gospel, I'll have to admit, completely unsuccessfully. But the point is, if you love your neighbour, won't you practically help them and seek salvation for them? If you love your neighbour, won't you be seeking their good practically and spiritually? If you love your neighbour, won't you be seeking their good for now, because now is not irrelevant, but also for eternity, because eternity is a whole load more relevant? If we've heard a series on God's love and we don't tell others that love, if we've got our heads full of teaching about God's love and what our love should be like and we don't love our neighbour by seeking to point them to Jesus, isn't something very wrong? It's a command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Well, I hope this series on love has lifted you up with God's love. It's a wonderful love. I hope this series has reassured you. You can rest secure in God's love. I hope this series has given you discernment. Our society is almost completely wrong about love. But I hope this series won't stop there. Because we have a command and we must do it. I haven't told you much new this morning, have I? I say, it's been a bit light on teaching this morning, so what? My aim hasn't particularly been teaching, my aim has been urging. Even if you did learn something new, don't put the focus there. The focus is on this, we must do it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbour as yourself and that must make a difference for the rest of the day, tomorrow and this week. Now is the time for action. Let's pray.